0: no bad news there's only good news because if you're high risk you need to know about it and you need to create a strategy if you're average or low risk there's a process in place already this is hpg engage the podcast on our podcast we will give you insight into the minds and professional experiences of thought leaders in australia within the healthcare space
1: We know from the first podcast that genetic testing gives more accurate disease prediction to allow for better patient management. We learn all about the process and how it works, who it is most appropriate for, and that it's actually more affordable than we may think. It's about providing proactive, preventative medical opportunities and empowering patients to know more about their potential risks. As such, genetic testing also provides great opportunities for GPs, and this is what we're going to explore today. In the second part podcast, exploring genetic testing, we're going to focus on the benefits within general practice. How the insights genetic testing provides can allow GPs to have a much more personalized, more focused and more preventive style of care to their patients. We'll be talking about how accessible is genetic testing. Is it really a viable option on a day-to-day basis? How can GPs access this? Is it available on Medicare? And what are the barriers to entry from a GP's point of view? Here's Dr. George, CMO of Genetic Technologies, to answer all of our questions. Hi, Dr. George, how are you?
0: Very well, Haley. Thank you very much for having me.
1: You're very welcome. This is our second podcast, and we're going to delve more into what genetic testing means specifically for GPs and what kind of opportunities it opens up for them. I know from our last podcast, this is something you're very passionate about, so I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Uh, it's such a great topic and my mind is spinning uh, in terms of all the information that I want to make sure that, that I share with uh, the audience and yourself. Um, and as always, I use my medical experience to, to draw the landscape and describe how things used to be done and how things are done today. So uh, let's start with uh, George, the GP, uh, 20 years ago and uh, sitting in my little office without windows. And uh, I I would start managing, and we'll talk about women's health now. I would start managing uh, women's health uh, in a proactive way from the age of 50 in the old days. And that would be when uh, we would advise uh, the discussion around uh, breast cancer, breast cancer risk, uh, examination of the breast, and, of course, referral for one's first mammogram and uh, and you know that that was a very exciting time and it it did start a new process which was trying to be proactive in in identifying common complex diseases and and breast cancer is one of many common complex diseases and for instance it occurs at a rate of 1 in 8 in some cases even lower and uh, unfortunately uh, it's it's going to strike either in your own house, or it's going to strike someone in your vicinity or in your social network. Uh, The the way we do things now with genetic testing is that process starts at 35. And what that means is, number one, we are addressing 25% of cancers which were not even addressed previously because cancer doesn't start at 50. Number two, it gives us a large period of time to address environmental, lifestyle and non-surgical interventions in the management of risk. It also allows us to create strategies with the patient around screening and uh, it also gets the patient and their family involved in that process. Let's apply that to other diseases, such as colorectal cancer. So colorectal cancer is is less common than breast cancer. Unfortunately, because the colon is hidden inside your abdominal cavity, the symptoms are often not detected till the disease has progressed further. Uh, As a result, we have more late-stage disease detection and we have a larger mortality. Uh, This is another area where testing uh, used to start at 50 and the government, through its wisdom, uh, created a program which was called colonoscopies, uh, fecal occult bloods and screening procedures uh, before the event to try and detect early disease. Uh, Again, that process would start at 50, however disease does not start at 50. When you apply these types of uh, tests, you apply them 15 to 20 years earlier, you identify risk, and then you manage that person according to their specific risk. I'll add one more thing. Um, We mentioned that breast cancer, for instance, occurs in one in eight women. Uh, When we do detect high risk in that patient, there will probably be seven women who will be told that they have average or low risk. So there there is actually no bad news. There's only good news, because if you're high risk, you need to know about it and you need to create a strategy. If you're average or low risk, there's a process in place already. However, you can always pursue a healthy lifestyle. You can always try and control your environment. and, And so the only positives can come out of it.
1: Wow, addressing 25% more cancers by just reducing the age in which testing starts just seems like such a leap on disease prevention and the opportunity to begin some treatment strategies to move forward. And I guess this is exactly why it's important to encourage GPs to consider genetic testing to their patients at that 30 plus age.
0: I think uh, the, the value of genetic testing is that it, it allows us to create a landscape which is manageable. We can plan, we can strategize, we can identify, we can, we can assist, we can uh, direct. And the point is that where you have that sort of an opportunity, where you have that type of a preventative tool, uh, you are certainly going to be more successful. And more successful in our language is uh, z- stage zero, and in breast cancer, that's DCIS or LCIS, which means this, uh, ductal carcinoma inside you. Uh, and these are precancerous uh, lesions. Uh, as an example, this is where you want to be if you're going to develop that type of a pathological process. And otherwise, you want to enjoy good health and not be burdened by not knowing whether you are managing your, your risks uh, adequately and and optimally so uh, that there's many components to understanding uh, what your status is one of those is peace of mind because you've you've identified the things that you should be looking out for you're pushing aside things that you don't have to worry about and most of all you can get on with your life
1: and in terms of age is that really the key driver for who'd be the most appropriate patients for this type of treatment?
0: Well, everyone, everyone's a patient. And, and uh, the, the, the thing is that something is going to get us, whether it's heart disease, diabetes, cancer. Um, so what we want to do is without causing panic or fear, we want to approach the individual and say, don't worry about uh, the stigma of uh, genetic testing, because there there is a little bit of a stigma, Uh, will people misuse your data? Will it affect your insurance? Uh, Are you going to be discriminated against in your workplace? Uh, So these things need to be put aside. We need to look at this as a a powerful, inexpensive tool. Uh, We explained previously, you don't even require a blood test. Uh, A lot of companies such as us, we do what's called a, a mouth swab or a saliva spit tube, uh, which means that we can test people remotely. You don't have to go to the doctor to actually uh, to perform the test, though you have to go to the doctor to have the test uh, ordered. And so uh, the, the bottom line is that everyone needs to know where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are. And I'll give you some of these examples that are already taking place but in other areas in medicine. When the happy day comes and you decide to have a family, uh, you would go and see your trusted medical practitioner and they would recommend carrier testing. They would also possibly recommend non-invasive prenatal testing. Now, that means that genetic testing is being offered in terms of the likelihood of your child having various serious medical conditions. And uh, this is designed to minimize uh, the the complexity and the the tragedy of children being born with um, uh, medical conditions which are contraindicated in terms of a healthy, happy life. So that introduction occurs uh, when you're in your childbearing years, and I actually believe that that is the stage when genetic testing should start. You are looking after the well-being of your child, which is brilliant. You also want to make sure that where appropriate where the tests are designed for that age group what what lies ahead, what lies around the corner for you as the parent, and you want healthy parents, you want healthy children in a healthy environment. So it, it sounds a bit like a Shangri-La, like a love story, but, but it is, from medical perspective. And and I always have the same vision of, of my beloved clinic in Elwoods, Victoria, and, and the room with the pictures and the people, and and the juxtaposition of 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 the drama of disease with the um, the, the happiness of well-being and and this is our job our job is really to make sure that we fully inform our, 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 our patients about what's available how they should approach new technology in a non-threatening and in a, in a very effective proactive way and price is important we know that and some companies perform the same tests but prices are different, so we we should be guiding our patients in terms of who they should go to for for good value. And I think that to have a trusted uh, person with medical knowledge uh, guiding you in that journey, I think is, is really the ultimate. Beyond that, it's not a complex story. Beyond that, that knowledge is going to be disseminated in the community and we're looking forward to a robust discussion online uh, with uh, social influencers, people who've previously suffered from the disease and are survivors, and they've got a great story to tell, and they've got great tips on how to navigate complex common diseases. Um, These are the types of outcomes that I would love to see. Uh, In other words, let this become part of the, the discourse, let this be part of the language, we're already very, very comfortable with ancestry testing, with paternity testing, uh, with genetic testing where there is a crime and you want to identify the victim and the perpetrator. And, and we know how good that information is. It's so accurate that that people's um, life is determined by that test. That same accuracy and that same efficacy applies to medical conditions. So we've taken this wonderful tool, we've applied it in helping us identify, manage disease, and now we're smashing the price and we're creating innovation, which means that you're gonna get more information at a lower cost earlier.
1: I really enjoyed that analogy, the comparison that we use the same technology to detect crime. Also interesting that we use this technology in a preventative way when people want to build families, but actually when it comes to ourselves and being able to plan or being able to give ourselves better care, it's not something that we're currently proactive about. The mindset that it really is just a positive story, the results will mean that you're either going to know that you don't have a potential risk or you're going to be put on a pathway for more focused and personalized care moving forward. So continuing with that, I'm quite a planner. I like to be able to plan for an easy life. (laughs) I like to be able to relax and not worry about things. So this is something that would really appeal to me in terms of having the option to know if I needed to implement an additional medical journey that I would not have known previously. So if I went to my GP tomorrow to discuss my options, what would genuinely happen? you know, how available is this really? And is this something that I can do right now?
0: It's not so available. And and that is because the technology is so new and a lot of doctors are not comfortable or familiar with it. Uh, all this will change. Um, there, there are groups which are more forward thinking and the, the avant-garde doctors will, will jump on this type of technology straight away and others uh, will join when the time comes. Uh, unfortunately right now the people who are being offered these genetic tests are people who've had cancer and these uh, and, and their first degree relatives. Um, so let me just create a little bit of context to the tests themselves. There's two tests. There's a test where there is family history and there's a test when there isn't family history. And between the two you've covered 100% of risk. So uh, the family history tests are called germline panels. Uh, These look at genes like BRCA genes. Uh, They're not very common. BRCA uh, abnormalities occur at a rate of one in 500 in the community, unless you're unfortunate enough to have uh, some Ashkenazi uh, heritage, uh, which is a certain group of uh, people with a Jewish heritage and their risk goes to one in 40. And these people, unfortunately, have uh, sometimes a 50 or 70% chance of developing cancer. This is a time bomb. And the government has come to the party. They subsidize these tests. So there's family history. Uh, You can go to your doctor or to your specialist or your genetic counselor, and they will confirm that you are suitable for that test. Uh, these tests are uh, north of $1,000, the rebate is around $800, and so that's in play already. There's a lot of people who should be having these tests who are not having these tests. So, so what I've just said is anyone who's had a breast cancer, in my mind, needs to have a germline cancer panel. Now, that's a little bit different from the guidelines. The guidelines are a little bit more specific. They'll talk about the age, the type of the cancer, uh, other people in the family, and so on and so on. And I'm of that school that, that suggests that anyone with a cancer needs a germline test. Now, if that germline test, which is for inherited disease, is negative, what then? What is your risk? And then we do what I call a companion diagnostic for the germline test, which is Polygenic Risk Score, PRS, that's our area of expertise. And that looks at multiple sites on your DNA, on your your genome, and there's 3 billion sites. We look at various sites which are significant in detecting risk, and then we can apply that to our algorithm, combining it with a clinical risk score Uh, family history, height, weight, and various other components in the questionnaire depending on the cancer. And we create this other tool, this companion for inherited disease. So let's say we've determined that you don't suffer from an inherited gene, then we identify what your acquired risk is. Uh, So this is sporadic disease. And you look at these people's family history, there's no cancer there. And they represent 85% of cancers. I'm in my waiting room, which I've been talking about all day, and there's 10 people waiting. There'll be one or two women there who will have a sporadic risk of cancer, which nobody knows about. It's, it's, it's hidden. And this is one of the only tools that allows us to identify that risk. now. The GP and the specialist are sitting in a very privileged position. They know this person's at risk. This person needs to be monitored. They cannot afford to miss one mammography session. They cannot afford to miss one breast examination session. The system will find them, will support them, will guide them. That's the beauty of identifying risk. The others don't have to stress as much. They will be placed in the current screening program. Again, we always, as GPs, always support healthy lifestyles: smoking, drinking, exercise, etc. I don't want to make it sound like a, a simple, a simple thing. This is a big thing, and it makes a big difference. and And I spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, for the record, I've lost ten kilos in the last six months. I'm happy to talk well to done. people about how I did it. And you know, doctors get sick. Uh, we suffer from the same risk factors. We need to show we need to uh, grab leadership shouldn't smoke, shouldn't have a drink, shouldn't be overweight and and uh, leading by example is is a great way to discuss these matters with your patients, share tips, uh, take advice sometimes from your patients we've got some very knowledgeable people out there. impart knowledge where it's appropriate it's a team effort. encourage people to uh, look at videos on YouTube. There's fantastic material there. Encourage people to read articles. Encourage people to have a voice. So uh, this, this, is, this is what genetics does for you because it means that you've got 20 years to manage the process. I just want to quickly mention a fantastic story about uh, Japanese women who migrated to the United States. Now, the incidence of breast cancer in Japan is very low much lower than that we see in Western societies. When these women were studied in the United States, uh, their risk of breast cancer increased and approached that of Caucasian women. When some of these women went back to Japan, and I'm I'm not 100% of faith with what happened there, there was a suggestion that that environment again reduced that risk. And what that does is it gave us a, an incredible insight into the importance of lifestyle and environment. And genetics helps there as well, because if, if you go for a gut test, a test that looks at your microbiome, which is the profile of bacteria in your gut, that is actually your environment. It's not whether you live in a city or in, in a rural area on a boat Or in the mountain it's how you eat how you stress how you manage various uh, lifestyle issues and it's reflected in that profile in your gut so we are learning about the environment in a in a health uh, mitigation in a risk mitigation fashion and and these tests are also being used now to encourage people to pursue the right options
1: One thing that I do really always enjoy when we talk to you, Dr. George, is your passion. It's so clear. I'd just like to hone in on a couple of things there. Clarify some of the numbers that you just talked about. So 85% of people who develop cancer don't have a hereditary link. Is that correct? So we're monitoring closely people who have a hereditary link to cancers, as we should but we are missing out on a huge majority of people who could develop them
0: very true and that applies to breast cancer to colorectal cancer to heart disease to diabetes and and you know interestingly enough the first question that you ask when the patient comes in what is your family history this is so important to us well genetic testing of sporadic disease disease where there's no family history is as powerful as family history and people where the disease does exist so if you're a doctor that asks that question what is your family history and if you act upon that answer then now you have another tool in your arsenal which is just as powerful non-invasive and and not only that it's getting better and better and better and cheaper
1: the hereditary link being so key is really making me think um, if I was at home, which is on the other side of the world, it's a small village, the doctor treated my father, treated my grandmother, he would automatically know of all of our hereditary risks. But I live in Australia now, so there's no family connections. My GP is amazing, I really trust her, I think she's brilliant. But I don't know if I've ever been asked my family history unless it, it would have been relevant. So it's really illuminating that gap in awareness for patients, but also a gap in awareness for GPs. So if I was to walk into my GP and say, I've actually done some research on this, I've been on Dr. Google, I've listened to a couple of podcasts, and this genetic testing thing is something that I really want to do. It's right up my street. What do you think the GP would say to me today?
0: I think that if you were insistent, insistent, I don't know if that's the right word. Actually, <laughs> if you were you were you were pursuing that agenda strongly, and um, uh, you would probably be offered a germline test. That's a test which reflects your family history's risk, and um, and again, it's because these other tests for non-inherited disease are recent innovations. Uh, so, um, we we did a few. Um, Uh, medical conferences recently and it was it was very positive we had great interactions but there is a lack of knowledge across the board and that does happen with new technology Uh, the the whole area that we're operating in really came into its own roughly 20 years ago and and it takes about 20 years for the the products to be developed and for awareness to be uh, developed as well so over the next one or two years, uh, with some of these innovations that uh, have materialized, I, I think that the story is going to be front and center. And there's another component that will that will be introduced as well, and that's pharmacogenomics. It's the selection of drugs for you. So it's the drug and the dose. And this is a really fascinating area that until now, it, again, it's a one-size-fits-all or we might adjust according to your body weight. That's the only variable. Well, there's some genetic variables which determine how you metabolize these drugs. And so we'll be able to use that information to precisely dose you, precisely select the right drugs. So antidepressants is an example. There's, there's 10 or 15 antidepressants which are commonly, commonly used uh, in that space right now. We're developing algorithms which will allow you to identify which antidepressant works best. And that is crucial in solving diseases like depression because the longer it takes you to resolve depression, the more difficult it becomes to solve. Um, And again, early intervention, better outcomes, and everyone wins. So um, this precise, uh, personalized approach it delivers rewards, delivers uh, better outcomes, faster outcomes with less side effects and with less iatrogenic disease, and that is disease caused by the doctor and the system. So a, a, a drug that's prescribed um, inappropriately because the patient is allergic to that drug or because the dose is inappropriate, and these are all part of a disease process which is caused by the system. All of this is going to disappear. Uh, I can see that we, we are going to be much more professional and much more targeted in every step of, of that process, disease detection, prediction and management that we are part of now.
1: One thing I think we do need to touch on again is the cost. We know it's in the range of $300 for a genetic test. And last time we compared this to an Apple Watch, which is between say $400 to $600. Now, my Apple Watch is going to tell me how many steps I do and what my heart rate is, but this test is actually going to tell me if I'm at potential risk of some very serious diseases. So what is the cost to the patient today? I know I can go directly through your website, but is there any additional support there? Are there any rebate options with Medicare? Um, Or is there anything currently in place to move this from an elitist option of preventative medicine to something that is available on a much wider scale.
0: Well, uh, uh, yes, very, very uh, brilliant question. And because this is one of the major hurdles to adoption, this test when it came out um, three or four years ago was three thousand dollars. Yesterday, the test was three hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, today, it's one hundred and seventy-four dollars. Right, so non-familial breast cancer, non-familial colorectal cancer, $174, Uh, there's no reimbursement. Uh, We will be applying for reimbursement down the track, but at the same time, uh, I think that you can't afford to delay in some cases, um, just because you're waiting for it to become $20 cheaper or $40 cheaper. Um, So I, I think that a price point of $174 is pretty good, and, as you say, uh, it, it tells you more than just how many steps you've taken. Uh, I'll just mention Medicare. Uh, Medicare is designed to incentivize uh, the patients to take tests, where appropriate. And that that is really the main reason for introducing Medicare. Unfortunately, the process is rigorous. It, it takes two to three years, in some cases, because Medicare needs to review uh, academic works, published papers, and information that gives them confidence in that process. So what happens is we, we create the documents, the documents are reviewed by the regulators, and the test is then certified. Medicare has its own regulation process and its own certification process, and, and that is something that we need to get in line with. There's a lot of companies trying to certify their products, and, and that's why it takes two to three years. We shouldn't use that as a disincentive not to have these brilliant tests. And, and shortly there'll be uh, multi-tests as well, which means you'll go to your doctor and uh, you're 30 years old, you'll have one, one test and it'll tell you information about many cancers and many non-cancerous serious diseases like diabetes, heart disease, atrial fibrillation, dementia, osteoporosis, etc. And so uh, and this is not far away. This is something that's going to be uh, in our our clinics uh, probably next year.
1: In your opinion, how can we bridge this gap? So how can we raise awareness with GPs and how can we um, provide education around this so that they can see it as a real viable option for their for their patients?
0: Well, I think that we we need to get more seriously involved in that process, and we have. So we are part of the uh, accreditation program for the College of General Practitioners in Australia. Uh, You can now go to the CME sites and sign up for uh, educational uh, courses on genetic testing. Uh, There's also a lot of information that's available online, and uh, on top of that, Uh, We've got a sales force and um, perhaps if we could uh, put some uh, contact details uh, at the end of the podcast and any doctors or patients who are interested in in knowing about testing uh, can contact our sales force and they will introduce you to educational material and and perhaps practitioners who are using the tests with great efficacy.
1: And what would the onboarding time be for a GP to get themselves uh, ready to go with genetic testing for patients?
0: One weekend,
1: you know, because
0: one weekend, Uh, the knowledge base is there. It's, it's populating the base with the latest developments and it all makes sense. It all falls into place. So, um, in fact, I'm going to create some educational material, which we can include at the end of the podcast, uh, which will be um, uh, videos from uh, academics and key opinion leaders Uh, around our technology
1: and patient stories sharing the impact to positive patient outcomes I think will be really powerful that's of course who's going to benefit the most here continuing with benefits if more GPs consider this as part of their offering what impact would it have on the patient journey
0: well I think the patient and the doctor then embark on a preventative health strategy so this is this is the for me it's the ideal in medicine uh before the event medicine is a term you'll hear me use very often i I just love it and uh, and early detection leads to better outcomes is another term that is uh universal and often used by myself so uh in in reality um These are such uh, powerful mitigating uh, risk factors that can be addressed in such a simple way that I I can't help but see this being adopted very quickly once um, everyone is comfortable uh, with the information on how to apply it.
1: And it feels like it can be a bit of a fast track into the system. Independently and proactively, you can find out if you are at risk, and then you're able to take that information to your GP and become part of a preventative, strategic, medical journey for yourself.
0: Very much so. And, and you know, some of these hidden risk uh, factors uh, cause, uh, create a risk of as high as 50 percent. And this is in non-inherited risk. In, in other words, there are individuals out there with no family history, and and there's just nothing to to uh, give you that indication that something is amiss uh, when you do these types of tests. You'll see that they've got a one in two or higher risk, and and so th- this is staggering information, I have to say. And uh, again, it, these people previously would have walked out of the clinic and got back into their their uh, normal lives, their work and, and family environments without realising um, what was on the horizon. So uh, d- this is something that now that it's available, uh, it, we are obligated to use it and use it well.
1: Um, it seems like it's going to be an exciting future for genetic testing as a whole. There's obviously an education piece there for patients uh, and for GPs, but we are in an environment where the consumer really does hold some power and we have more information than ever before. We're able to go to our GPs and say, look, I've researched this. This is something that I want to do. So the growth possibilities are there, especially if companies like yourselves are going to the end user first and educating them. But I imagine that you want this to be a full team effort.
0: Absolutely, and, and look, the, the evidence is overwhelming. I suppose the difficulty is that there's a lot of companies now starting to offer various forms of these tests without the same rigor and sophistication that a company such as Genetic Technologies or, or Illumina or Thermo Fisher or BGI uh, go to to develop these products. Uh, I mean, not all genetic tests are created equal. So this is where the medical uh, group needs to guide the, the uh, consumer in, in test selection and risk uh, management. Uh, because you, you, th- there are people who are simply lifting data uh, from the literature without applying the rigor that's necessary to create accurate product.
1: So what does that actually mean at the grassroots level?
0: There's medical grade tests and there's non-medical grade tests. And, and I okay. think that when you look at um, the regulators and who they regulate, that's that's the first step in identifying quality products. Uh, if you look at the publications that companies uh, provide in terms of uh, the data that's used to develop the products that further supports um, the, the test and its efficacy.
1: And that brings me on nicely to one of my final questions. Obviously the safety and reliability is something that GPs will be very, very interested in. Therefore, what comfort can you provide there?
0: No drug interactions, no side effects. And in in the worst case scenario, you're going to be uh, examined more often rather than we miss a cancer. So it, it's a win-win situation. Uh, and when, when you compare the outcomes, the outcomes of, of risk assessment and early detection is equivalent to a blockbuster drug. It's, it's as simple as that. And when you talk about it in that sense, people have a, a better understanding of the power of this technology. So, we, the, 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 you know, the, the great names in medicine today are, are drugs like Keytruda or CAR-T therapy. Uh, These are very expensive therapies, they're complex, and they've got side effects and interactions. That doesn't exist with risk stratification and early detection and the outcomes are better. So I I think that um, that's the way to look at it. We have to look at it in its totality. What sort of results does it deliver? How how does the community benefit from early detection? How does the individual and individual's family benefit? And and there's just, it's win, 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 win. There's just no negatives there. Uh, just for those doctors who are listening, the guidelines stress that you should start examining breasts when patients present um, planning a family. So we tend to think about breast care starting at 50, but you can see that the guidelines are saying to the health community, start looking at breast care when people present to manage their reproductive health. And and this is often in their 20s and 30s. So I, I agree with that statement. I think that breast health uh, and general health should be taken very seriously from the age of 30. We've had a great time as adolescents and young adults, but it gets serious. It gets serious once we get into our 30s. It's not that common, but it gets serious. And then 40s, 50s, 60s, it all gets really serious. So um, imagine if we're testing in, in your 30s, how much time have you got to improve your environment, to, to get on top of things? And um, you know, and, and not only that, uh, share, share the wisdom with others, save one life, save the world, as they say.
1: Exactly. And I think the world has really felt this with everything that's going on at the moment we've all had more time to reflect and self-assess and this is an additional tool that allows us to make some really solid decisions about the future of our health and it just seems like it's a really good tick in the box
0: exactly i can't hold back if you're if, if you're a young person listening to this think <laughs> about genetics as a serious career option it just it's a fantastic place to be it offers so much uh, there's even a lifestyle component. So if you're into gossip and ancestry and so on, it's there. If you're into serious disease and health, it's there. Drug selection, it's there. So um, just, just a, a little plug for my, for my profession.
1: And that is certainly something that we'll be keen to find out more about. And so that's it for us today. Thank you so much, Dr. George, for your time. Um, it's really useful and hopefully we can start to build the bridge between making some of those communications happen and bridging some gaps.
0: Yes, don't be shy. Call call my salespeople, call Tony and Sabina. They love talking about preventative health. And um, and uh, let, let's, let's be part of a movement that uh, eliminates serious disease.
1: Thank you, Dr. George
0: you <laughs>